Today we're beginning a brand new series called The Christmas Connection. And over this next month, we're going to look at how God connects us to him through the birth of Jesus. So uh, obviously Christmas is a time of celebration, but it's so much more than just a birthday celebration. You see, Christmas is literally the way that we connect to God. You see, through the birth of Jesus, we are able, we've been given access to God relationally and through the journey that he has us in. Yeah, this is so much more than a season where we can say, oh, how cute. You know, when, when, you, when you see a baby, the, it's oohs and ahs. It's the, oh, this baby is so precious, it's so cute. But Christmas is so much more than that type of a celebration or response. This is a season where we get down on our knees and we thank the Lord for sending Jesus so that he could save us from our sins. Uh, Listen to what Colossians chapter one, verses 19 through 20 says. It says this, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, Jesus was and is literally the son of God. He's not just a good person or a good prophet or someone who was wise uh, or even someone who was highly favored by God, although he was all of those things, but he was more than that. Here in Colossians 1, it says, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was and is God. He was and is the son of God. Colossians 1 continues by saying, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, It is through Jesus that our lives have been reconciled to God. And let me explain what I mean by this. It's through the the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that our connection with God can be fixed. You see, we are all sinners. In other words, we've all disobeyed God. We've all turned away from God. We've all seen the right thing we should do and have not done it. And because of our sin, our relationship with God has been disconnected. It's been destroyed. And Jesus came to take that destroyed relationship and bring it back together. That's what it means when the Bible talks about being reconciled to him. You see, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate Christmas because it is the point when Jesus came to fix our broken connection to God. And so over the next coming weeks, through this series called The Christmas Connection, we're going to be looking at how our connection with God was fixed because Jesus was born. And so that's what we're gonna be doing over the next few weeks through this month of December. So I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on. And today we're gonna be in Luke 
chapter one, Luke chapter one. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Luke is located, let me give you some hints. Uh, If you're in a physical Bible, what I would encourage you to do is open to the beginning to the table of contents. Uh, When you get there, you're gonna notice that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Luke is one of the first books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So three books into the New Testament is the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter one. Now, if you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and you'll find that Luke is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So Luke chapter one. Now, as you're turning there, have you ever been speeding? Uh, I, uh, this is probably one of the things that I am most guilty of is speeding. Uh, when I am traveling on the interstate from one town to another, if I've got a long trip, I'm going to push how fast I think I can go without getting in trouble. And, and I need to confess that. I, I, that is sin. It is wrong for me to do that. But, but let me give you an illustration here in line with this. If I'm driving down Interstate 10, let's say I'm driving down Interstate 10 heading to California. The speed limit is 75, but I'm going Let's say I'm going 83 miles an hour. I'm pushing that speed limit. I'm, I'm past the point of legality. I'm breaking the law. And let's say I'm driving 83 miles per hour down the highway uh, on Interstate 10, heading to California. And as I'm going, I see up in front of me a highway patrolman. What am I gonna do? What would you do if you were in this situation? I dare say that you would probably slow down. You would either start pumping the brakes a little bit or you would allow, you'd take your foot off the accelerator and allow your car to get closer to that 75 mile per hour uh, speed limit. And so you would slow down. I know I would. If I was coming up on a highway patrolman and I was going 83 miles an hour, I would definitely get my speed closer to that 75 mile per hour mark. But here's an interesting question that I think we should ponder this morning. Why? Why are you suddenly slowing down? Are you slowing down or or would I be slowing down because I previously didn't know what the speed limit was and because I saw a highway patrolman, it was suddenly revealed to me that the speed limit was 75? No, I've known the entire time that it was 75. That's why I was pushing uh, the, the limit. I knew that it was 75, I know it's 75. So it's not that I suddenly was given a revelation that the speed limit was actually 75 and not 83. So why would I be slowing down? The reason that I would slow down is because I have suddenly become in in relational proximity to the person that upholds honors the law. And, you know, in, in, in a legal way, holds others accountable to honoring that law. You see, it's not that I suddenly became aware that the highway speed limit was 75. It's that I became within relational connection, relational proximity to someone who honors that law and helps others honor that law. You see, me slowing down has nothing to do with my knowledge and has everything to do with my connection. 
It has everything to do with me being close to someone who values that law. And that's what this series is all about. You see, theology is great. Knowing things about the Bible and knowing facts about God, uh, those are great and they are very important, but theology does not save us. Uh, Just go and read the, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Luke is one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, those first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, and they are the biographies of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry. If you go and read the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus condemns guys who valued theology and knew theology, but despite their knowledge of the Bible, They weren't actually following God. You see, theology doesn't save us. Theology does not make us close to God. Again, theology is important and it's valuable and we should study God's word and get to know him better through God's word. But if you're depending on your head knowledge of God to save you, you will not be saved. You will be greatly disappointed in that. The fact of the matter is, is our connection to Jesus through faith, through belief. That's what saves us. Our connection to him is what truly matters to Jesus. He wants us to know him by getting to know his word, but if that head knowledge never leads to a connection of belief, then that head knowledge is completely useless. If that theology, once we do know Jesus, if that theology does not go and transform who we are to be more like Jesus, that theology is useless. You see, Jesus values the connection that transforms us from the inside out. He desires for us to know him and go on a journey with him. That's what belief is all about. That's what faith is all about. And that's what this series is is about. We're gonna be looking at the connection that we have through Jesus. And so take your Bibles or your apps. Let's open up to Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse five. It says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So uh, we're introduced to Zechariah, a priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, who is also from the line of Aaron, a Levite. And they are married, they love the Lord, they are righteous and blameless, they are in connection with Jesus, but they have not ever had a child. They're barren. And they are now, according to verse seven, they are advanced in years, meaning they're, they're past the age where they could have children. Now, let me give you some cultural context here. You see, back in this day and time, to not have children was a massive humiliation. It was embarrassing. 
Um, and people would judge you for it. Many people would uh, think that you were in some kind of sin and that being barren was the judgment that God had imposed on you for that sin. And so uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth must have been dealing with all sorts of embarrassments and judgmental attitudes from others. Now, let's keep reading. Verse eight, it says, And while he was serving, so this is Zechariah, and while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, so let me explain what's going on here. Uh, Zechariah is a uh, priest, but there were lots and lots of priests. And his particular division would have served in the temple maybe twice a year. Uh, and so he's in Jerusalem at the temple. His uh, division of priesthood is serving in the temple. They're doing all sorts of work. They're, they're helping with sacrifices. They're uh, helping with stuff that goes on inside the temple. They're, they're helping with uh, ministering to the people. I mean, there's just all these things that they're doing. But to go inside the temple building itself to offer the showbread or burn the incense or, or light the candles or anything like that was a massive honor. And it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I want you to imagine, it says that he was chosen by lot. Basically, they, uh, today's equivalent would be they drew straws and Zechariah got chosen uh, through a random selection process to go in and burn incense. And it was, again, a huge honor. It was a once in a lifetime experience. So hey, he gets selected and all of his buddy priests around him are like, dude, you got picked. How exciting. This is awesome. Oh, you must be so thrilled. And so Zechariah prepares himself to go in and burn the incense inside. Now pick up with me in verse 11. It says here, so Zechariah has gone in to burn incense and look at what it says. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." So imagine for just a moment that you're Zechariah. You've gone in, there's no one else in the temple with you. You've gone in specifically to light and burn the incense that was burning continuously inside the temple. And you're in this beautiful, ornate building, this, this place of massive worship. And you walk in and you're doing your job and you're, you're taking it all in. And right there to the right of the altar that you're burning incense at is an angel. 
Now it says that Zechariah was terrified, that he was, he was fearful. Hey, the, the angel actually tells him three things. The first thing is don't be afraid. Uh, just as a side note, this is one of the reasons why uh, when I hear stories of people seeing angels, um, so many of them say that they felt comfort and calm and things like that. There's not a single instance in the Bible where when someone experienced an angel, they felt calm or comfortable. Every single time when someone experiences an angel in the Bible, they're fearful. Uh, and so Zechariah is filled with fear because he's in the presence of an angel of God. And this angel says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. So that's the first thing he says, don't be afraid. The second thing he says is that God has heard Zechariah's prayers. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been faithfully praying that God would give them a child. That's what we see indicated here in this passage, in this account. They were connecting to God and giving God their concern, their desire for a child. Uh, and they must have done this religiously, faithfully for, for many, many years. We're not sure if they had continued to do that in their old age, but at least in, their, uh, in the years where Elizabeth could have given birth, they had been faithful in praying for a child during those years at least. And the third thing the angel says is, don't be afraid, uh, God has heard your prayers, and thirdly, you're gonna have a son. And he gives him details about who the son will be and what they're supposed to do in raising this son. So he first says that you will name him John. Now, this baby that, that is being prophesied about here by the angel will later be known as John the Baptist. So we've got John the Baptist happening here. This is who the child will be. And the angel says that through this child that Elizabeth and Zechariah will experience joy and gladness and that all peoples will rejoice because of John. Um, he also says that this child will be great for the Lord, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Now, if you fast forward to Luke chapter one, where we're at right now, if you fast forward to verse 41, we, we have this exchange where Elizabeth um, is talking to the mother of Jesus, Mary. And when Mary greets Elizabeth, pregnant with Jesus, Mary says something and John, still in Elizabeth's womb, leaps. He jumps when he hears Mary's voice. You see, the very first person to recognize Jesus as the son of God, to recognize who Jesus was, was a fetus in a mother's womb. That tells us something about the value that God has of life. He literally leaps in his mother's womb when he hears the voice of the mother of the savior of the world. And so he's filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And then look with me now in verse 17. We're gonna reread this verse. 
Look at what it says, verse 17, Luke 1, 17. It says, the angel's still speaking. He says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, this is a phrase that Zechariah would have immediately recognized. And here's why. This phrase is word for word out of the last words of the Old Testament. You see, the, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi and the last words of the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter four, verses five and six says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. You see, when the angel says this statement in verse 17, Luke 1, 17, when he says that statement, Zechariah's mind would have immediately turned to the last words of his holy Bible, the Hebrew Bible. You see, they didn't have the New Testament at this point because Jesus hasn't even been born. And so Zechariah has the Old Testament as his scriptures. He would have known very well how the very last book of the Holy Scriptures ended. And so when that angel says this statement in Luke 1, 17, Zechariah's mind immediately goes to the prophecy found in Malachi chapter four that concludes, that ends the Old Testament. You see, this angel will later identify himself as Gabriel. And Gabriel here is literally kicking off the New Testament with the last words of the Old Testament. Fulfilling, building a connection between those two parts of God's holy scripture. So let's unpack this for just a moment. Zechariah and Elizabeth connected to God through prayer. Now, we're talking about the Christmas connection. And I wanna focus this morning on our connection to God through prayer. And that brings me to today's big idea. Now, if you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is actually a quote from a famous missionary named E. Stanley Jones. And the big idea is this. E. Stanley Jones said, prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. Think about that for just a moment. Prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. Of God. You see, through prayer, God answered a desire that Zechariah and Elizabeth had for their lives, that they had had for their whole lives. But God didn't just give them a child in answer to their prayer, He gave them a child that was part of His ultimate purpose. God didn't answer their prayers in the way they expected, He answered their prayers because answering their prayer, answering prayer is not about us. You see, answering prayer is about God. When God answers prayer, it's about pointing us to him. It's about fulfilling his purposes. 
And here's the coolest thing about this. If you continue reading Luke chapter one, verses 18 and following, Zechariah goes through a moment of doubt. He goes, whoa, Gabriel, I'm an old man. My wife's an old woman. We're way past the birthing years. How can this happen? And Gabriel basically confirms everything um, and then gives him a sign. He makes Zechariah mute. Uh, He can't speak um, as a sign to Zechariah and Elizabeth that what he has said is truth. And once they accepted that Gabriel's words were real, they rejoiced in what God was doing. They rejoiced in how God's purposes would be fulfilled through their prayers. You see, prayer is not about us. Prayer is about him. Prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. Uh, If you've ever noticed, you you may see that I have a Hebrew tattoo uh, that wraps my arm. And I, I don't care about your opinions about tattoos. The point of this is to say that this tattoo, this passage has a deep meaning to me in my life. And one of these days I'll tell the story, but this passage is, this Hebrew passage is from Psalm 37.4. And that Psalm says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And this is how this is interpreted. This is what this means. When I delight myself in him, It means that I am aligning myself with him so much that my desires become his desires. His desires become my desires. I want what he wants. Prayer aligns me with his purposes. When I delight in him, I align with him. And prayer helps me do that. Prayer helps you and I do that. We're called to be in alignment with his purposes. You see, prayer is not about getting what you want in life. Prayer is also not about checking off a box on our spiritual to-do list. It's about connecting to our Lord, Master, and Savior. It's about connecting to the one who has a purpose for our lives. It's about connecting to the creator of the universe and aligning our desires with his desires. Jesus doesn't want to be your genie in a bottle. He doesn't. He wants to have a life-changing relationship with you. He wants to be connected. He wants you to be connected to him and therefore having our our lives aligned with his purposes. He wants you to have someone in your life that you can go and talk to. Jesus is always there for you through prayer. Jesus is always listening. He is always accessible. And maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't believe in him, but maybe you could use somebody to listen to you. Maybe you could use somebody that would be there for you all the time. Maybe you're struggling and you could use somebody 
that you could just unload all of your concerns to. And if that's you, please hear me. Jesus loves you. Jesus will always be there for you once you believe in him. And he wants you to believe in him. He wants to change your life. He wants to give you that life-changing hope. And if you've got questions, if you wanna know more about Jesus, please go click on, in the post of this video, there is a virtual connect card. Click that link, it will take you to our website, to the contact us page, fill that out. And when we receive that uh, contact form, we will reach out to you. We would be glad to answer any questions that you have about Jesus. Uh, we wanna help you with any concerns, questions, doubts that you may have. And so please reach out to us, click on that virtual connect card, go to our website, to the contact us page, and we would love to help you if you've got questions. So let me conclude with this set of questions. How do you view prayer? Again, think about the big idea. Prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. Just like if I was driving down the interstate and, and I came close, I came within proximity of a highway patrolman, I know that I need to slow down because I'm coming in closer connection to the person that values those things. It's not about head knowledge, it's about connection. So how do you view prayer? Is it something that you do when you want something? Is it something you do to check off the box on your spiritual to-do list? Or is it the way that you connect to your loving savior? Is it about you or is it about him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask him to help us connect to him more closely in this Christmas season through prayer. Please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer anytime. Lord, that you are always there for us, walking with us in our journey of belief, of faith. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to understand how prayer works in our lives, that prayer is not about getting what we want. It's not about checking off something on a to-do list, but, but prayer is about connecting with a personal savior. Lord, I pray that you would change the way that we approach prayer and the way that we pray to you so that we would not be so concerned with the formalities uh, or the, the check marks on the to-do list or getting what we want, but instead our concern in prayer would be about connecting with you, communing with you, communicating with you so that we can delight ourselves in you and when we delight ourselves with you, we align with you and our desires align with what you want for our lives. So Lord, help us to approach prayer the way you call us to. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in this Christmas season. We pray that through this next month that you would help us to connect more closely to you. And we thank you that you've given your son Jesus so that we can do that very thing. 
We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.